medical department only to go to the bench and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football, Medicine and Performance podcast. I am Andrew Shafiq, a doctor in London and your host for today's podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Karen Carney. Karen Carney is a retired footballer and ex-Olympian who played for Birmingham City, Arsenal, Chicago Red Stars, Chelsea, Team GB and over 100 caps for England. Karen is a current commentator and pundit at the BBC and BT Sport where she provides expert analysis on various games. She's also highly skilled in sports science and sports psychology and has a master's focused in performance psychology. She currently works as a consultant for Visa, helping develop the second half program. To top it all off, Karen received an MBE in 2017 for her services to football. Thank you for joining us today, Karen. Today, we're going to discuss Karen's career relating to high performance and medicine and also the Visa second half programme. So following on from the intro, Karen, do you mind telling us a little bit about your journey to date? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, probably a long journey, though, so I'll try and make it short and sweet. Um, started playing football when I was 11, playing with the, the boys in the playground. And then, you know, at 11, you've got to join a team. So being a Birmingham City fan, joined Birmingham, um, not Aston Villa. And from there, kind of, my career just went absolutely nuts. From the age of 14, I played my first senior game. Um, at 17, I made my senior debut for England. And yeah, it's just gone on from there, really. From the age of 17, I've blinked and my career's kind of ended. It's meant I've travelled all over the world. As you said, I've played in America. Um, I've played for my country 144 times, been to the Olympic Games, um, been really fortunate to play for some fantastic clubs and, and win a lot of trophies. And um, alongside that, I've tried to have a dual career as well in terms of sports science degree, uh, a master's in psych, and I'm also doing um, another master's in business at the moment. So quite busy. And, and, and I've also, since retirement, gone into the punditry role, didn't want to go down the coaching route. And uh, as you alluded to, now commentate on both male and female football games. That's brilliant. And I think you've you've kind of summarised a really fantastic career today. And we know that you've had kind of, you've always, during your career, you've tried to get the maximum out of yourself. And you were once quoted saying, I've maxed out in every area. I've gone for every percentage gain I could be to be the best that I can be. It's just time. So do you mind telling us a bit about your journey specifically relating to high performance and marginal gains and what you mean when you discuss game changers and how that kind of changed your experience? I think that comment came to when I was just retiring. I think I'd come to that point and I literally had nothing else more to give and that's how I knew it was time to retire from football. And that's a big decision because once you make it, there's no turning back. And um, in terms of percentage games, you know, whether it be 
especially towards the end of my career, I was doing more off the pitch stuff than on the pitch to make me survive on the pitch, if that makes sense. So, you know, getting a lot of treatment, um, but having the best person for me, it took me probably, I don't know, 20 years to find the right person that knew how to treat my body properly, which was really weird. And once I found them, they pretty much saved my career and gave me a lot more career longevity. So that for me was a massive percentage gain. Doing yoga um, when I came back from America. So that was at 21, 22. So for eight or nine years, I'd done yoga on and off my career. And more so towards the end, Bikram, um, just to, again, give me career longevity. Whenever I was injured, I was always kind of seeking out the best help. So I remember... I think 2013, I bought a buoyancy suit, which was quite new and, and unique and would go to my local swimming pool in the diving pool um, at seven in the morning because it was the only time where I could have the diving pool to myself and do buoyancy sessions because I couldn't run because I'd hurt my ankle. Um, just those small little gains where I could max out and even in terms of as I got older I knew I couldn't run as fast as everybody else anymore on a you know a not to 40 meter sprint I wouldn't be first anymore second or third I'd be a lot further back so in terms of percentage gains I was like well how can I be quicker than everybody else and for me that was my mentality and that was how I read the game and probably why I now do what I do at football that you know I edged my educated myself in terms of I could see passes and runs before they actually happened. So that meant I never actually had to get in a foot race anymore. And that was always how I thought. I always tried to think ahead of the curve. And, and when I got to the end of my career, I thought, I can't max out anymore. This is as far as I can go. And these small percentage gains, now other people are picking up on them. And I'm not sure whether I've got the energy to keep exhausting those options of where they are elsewhere. That's really interesting, and you've kind of discussed about the a lot of the things that you helped to maximise your career there. We know at the moment that kind of mental health is a is a real hot topic within sport and um, in football. And speaking at a previous charity event, you've you've publicly spoken about suffering with depression, um, and how you're really fortunate to get the right help at the right time. Do you mind just touching a little bit about your experience with mental health and you know the the support that you received uh, at that time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's in public knowledge what, what I did and what I went through. So I'll never shy away from it. And hopefully other people can um, see how far I've come and maybe seek confidence in themselves that they can do the same. But I think for me, it was when I was injured in America and was very isolated on my own. I had no family, no friends and no teammates because of when I had my surgery, no one was in town. And for me, that's when it really spiralled out of control and... Um, you know, got addicted to sleeping pills, um, self-harm and some really other bad stuff that, that happened. And it was a really bad time for me. Um, my mum was sick as well at the time. And I was only a 21-year-old in a different country. And, you know, it's pretty traumatising having surgery, let alone in another country as well on your own. So for me, it was pretty tough. Um, and a, a few people knew that I was struggling and, and that's why I came back to the UK and effectively lost my professional career. Um, but luckily I had really good help and support and kind of did rehab for like two or three years where, you know, previously I was perhaps built on sand. Um, and now I came back and built myself up and 
de was determined to build myself on concrete so I'd never crumble and fall and fail again. So, and that's what I did really. And, and again, that's why I studied my master's in psych to give me a better understanding of myself, to help other people, to have a greater understanding. And, you know, it, it can be quite um, daunting explaining what I've just explained. Some people, they're kind of shocked when I say it. But I'm not doing myself any favours or anyone else any favours by not speaking about it because it's what happened and it is what happens in life and, and that's unfortunate. Um, but like I said, I've got a real, I've got a lot of help, I've got a lot of support and, you know, my support team, I still my support team now and hopefully I don't put them through what I went through before. But um, it is important to speak out and, and to realise that everyone's human and, and not everyone's super man or superwoman regardless of what job job they do it's a really really honest uh kind of point of view there and it's really kind of you to kind of share that with listeners and i, I think it's, it's really important that people realize you know everyone does does go through that so so thank you for sharing that you, you kind of have already touched a little bit on this but you mentioned kind of how difficult it is retiring um and mm. I think a lot of professional uh, athletes have come out recently saying, you know, it's, it's really difficult coming out of professional sport, especially when it's all you've kind of known for, for a long period of time. Do you mind telling us a bit about how you found the transition from, from a playing career to retirement? And is there anything else that you think could be done more from an athlete's point of view? Uh, for example, in football, do you think professional clubs could be doing more to support athletes um, who are retiring? Yeah, I think for me, everyone presumes... When you talk about retirement, it's like that massive eject button. But I think the way in which you can prepare yourself better is if you start preparing way, way in advance. And I think that was for me the lucky part of going through my mental health battles meant I had to add a lot more strings to my bow because the injury said to me that my sole identity was based around football. And without football, you know, I crumbled and got into a massive state. And that's effectively what happens to a lot of people when they retire because their whole identity, their whole life is based around football. If you walk down the street, oh, it's that footballer. No, it's that person. It's that human. So to kind of shift that, you have to start it a lot early. And I was really lucky that through one fault of my own, I had to do it a lot early through my mental health issues. So what I would say in terms of retirement is, start doing it a lot earlier it doesn't mean that you're going to press the eject button that you're going to retire tomorrow it's just upskilling along the way and it kind of makes you a more rounded person and I think clubs in the past were really fearful of that and were like no no we just want you to focus solely on football that's your, your primary job and I agree with it that is the focus but it doesn't mean that you can't do stuff along the way to add more strings to your bow and upskill and make you a more rounded person actually and I think Emma Hayes at Chelsea is brilliant at that a lot of clubs now are looking at dual careers and, and realizing that it is important and especially in the female game the financial rewards are not necessarily the same as the men but I still would say it's the same principle for, for the men as well that I've, I worked in an academy um, Premier League academy um, after my masters and saw the same identity players getting injured players going through mental health issues because the sole identity was based around football if we credited both male and females with dual careers or dual options it would really really help them and I think for me it's about doing it 
beforehand so that when you do come to that moment when you do want to press eject or you do want to retire it's really really smooth because you've prepared yourself for it and you know that you can go into any industry or any job or role because all the skills that you've required as a footballer are really transferable and really really desirable um so I think that would be the key and then I know we were going to speak about it again but I think that's the key thing I've learned from you mentioned earlier consult for visa now and we've designed a program called second half and it is about you know athlete transition but for me the transition starts while you're playing so we're keen to upskill female players um in the game at the moment to upskill them so it could be like we're offering cv writing so how many players have got cvs you know you will need one and it's not to say that you want to retire tomorrow but having a cv in your back pocket you can have that for the next 10 years and you just keep updating it and it's just something that you've got and while you've got the time and the resources do it now as opposed to when you actually finish and you're like oh my god what do i do so it's just adding those little things and i think that's really important along the way that's brilliant and we've we've covered some really key points there from your experience and and your career which i think are very insightful are there any specific moments or kind of any specific support networks that you remember from a performance medical staff um, along the journey that, 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 you know, really recollect that you think are worthwhile sharing with our listeners? In, in terms of retirement or? Health? No, in terms of just, just generally along the way. So we've, you know, in the sense of we've spoke about marginal gains and you mentioned yeah. you had really good support there in terms of mental health, in terms of retirement, just along kind of the whole career, is there any, you know, specific aspects where you think, you found the, the input from performance or medical staff really, really important to you in your career? I think strength and conditioning was a massive one for me. I started doing that when I was 14 and I don't think I had injuries, but I never really had an A touch wood, never had an ACL injury or anything like that. And I, I wonder is that because of my strength and conditioning background, I started it quite early. Um, I think in terms of medical, the best medical people for me were the ones that didn't use equipment. They were the ones that used use their ears and used their eyes. And for me, that's the biggest piece of equipment that you'll ever have. Because if you have a conversation with a human or an athlete, they will tell you what they're feeling and what they know. And you don't need to go and have a scan or any, anything else. They will tell you there and then if you just have the ability to listen and look. Um, so you'll be able to see that player's not running right. You don't have to put them on a treadmill to see certain things, or you don't have to look at a fit for 90 or a report system to see if they're tired. You just know them and you can hear it in them and they're telling you. And I think for me, I, in my last 18 months of my career, I got injured with my ankle and a guy called John Fern at Chelsea took me on and he was my physio and he'd worked with the guys. I don't think he'd ever worked with a female before. And he was just amazing. He just just listened to what I had to say, understood me, and went through the process. And he was absolutely outstanding. By far, probably the best physio I've ever worked with. And he was, because he just listened, we had a laugh, and he understood, and he understood my frustrations. And he was outstanding. And another... Dr. Sam, who used to work at Chelsea as well, the same principles, they just listened. And I think for me, the best medical people, 
they just hear an athlete because I know my body better than any anyone because it's been my body for 33 years so I know when something's not right um and of course adding all the medical equipment and support and that that comes along its way but I don't think you'll ever beat eyes and ears and that I will always stand by that a really powerful message there I think for for kind of the healthcare practitioners that listen to this that from an athlete's point of view that you know being being listened to is the most important thing and you actually just how much you can pick up from that Karen do you mind chatting us uh, telling us a little bit about kind of uh, the change in your nutrition during your career because you've spoken about uh, that you you switched to vegan towards the end of your career um, do you mind telling us a bit about that kind of change and how how that came about Yeah, so I think the last 18 months of my career, um, when I had my ankle injury, I kind of thought, what's the best diet to help with inflammation? I felt I felt in my body I was more inflamed. I thought my mental health wasn't wasn't as bad as I previously mentioned, but it wasn't in a good spot. So I thought, what's a great one for inflammation? And and veganism came up in terms of really good for mental health, in terms of um, gut health. You know, you always speak about mental health, your serotonin, which is in your stomach. So I was like, well, what's the best diet for my stomach? So that was veganism. And then it really helped because I was injured at the time and my ankle was severely inflamed. Was veganism helped with that inflammation in my ankle? So I shifted to that diet. And there was a bit of restriction at first from certain people and in the professional level. But there was a few and a couple that were really open-minded and really supportive. Again, John Firm was brilliant at that for me at Chelsea. And Emma Hayes was my uh, manager at the time. And um, yeah, noticed a massive difference in how I mentally felt. Physically, my my fitness levels were the best they'd ever been. I was sharper than I'd ever been. I was leaner than I'd ever been. So in terms of performance, I wished I'd have done it a lot earlier. And for me, it was so good. And my recovery was quicker. Um, just energy, everything about me was just so much better from changing my diet. And like, I really wish I'd done it a lot earlier. And it's really interesting to hear there kind of about your change in nutrition and how you try to identify another marginal gain to help you improve your recovery um, and almost for, for injury prevention. We've spoken and touched a bit about the visa program, and I think it's only appropriate if we if we come on to hearing a little bit more about it. So you've kind of mentioned it's called the second half program. Do you mind telling us a bit more about it and kind of its progress to date? Yeah, so I got asked just after I retired, really, um, did I want to come and help on a, an athlete transition program with Visa? And Visa are a massive sponsor of women's football. Um, they've got a great partnership with UEFA, and you know they've done the champions league so they kind of just want to what we want to help women's football now those that are kind of in the game and those that are coming out of the game and so we decided to to launch this program called the second half and it's basically to again like i said to upskill current and retired players to show them that there's actually more opportunities other than coaching and going into the media that all the skills that you've learned as a professional footballer are really transferable and desirable and you can go into any industry and I really do believe that I think footballers are really really unique and I do think the key skills like hard work and resilience they can they can bounce back they're adaptable all those skills and traits I think any corporate company or any business would love to have and I really do stand by that 
it's not for everyone, granted, but those key skills are pretty much what make you be a professional athlete, a professional footballer. Um, so at Visa, we started doing this programme. So I mentioned kind of CV writing, um, you know, how to be CEO of your own brand, teaching people about sponsorship, branding, marketing, um, financial literacy training. You know, we look at four categories, a young player, a mature player, an injured player and a retired player and kind of what do those four players need so in terms of your podcast an injured player coming on the second half program might be good because it gives them a different um mindset it gives them a different focus and while they're injured they're upskilling for five six seven eight years whenever they do retire so it could be learning about getting their social media right learning what sponsors look for getting the cv sorted so in five or six years time i can walk into a job opportunity and give my CV and make sure I nail it. Make sure that fin financially that I'm okay, that I'm doing the right things. We've got loads more, whether you want to be an entrepreneur, whatever it is, there's lots of support there from Visa to help, um, like I said, current and retired players. So, um, and also it's really lucky that Visa want to offer any person that comes onto the program a mentor. And for me, that's massive. You know, if you're interested in marketing, you can go and find someone at Visa or one of their partners and get mentored by someone there. And I'm thinking that's incredible because as everyone knows, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And if you're doing a law degree, because there's a few footballers that are doing it at the moment, well, there's lawyers at the company that would gladly take on a professional footballer be mentored by. It showed me that I could easily work and really enjoy sponsorship. I really enjoy branding. Um, and going into that, it's made me realise that there's so many opportunities. And imagine a professional footballer coming out of the game, working for a football club in that type of industry in terms of branding, sponsorship, marketing. How cool would that be? Um, so it's just basically to open up people's eyes and realise they've got much more to than just football, which is pretty cool, I think. That's absolutely fascinating. And I think... Two two things that really stood out for me there was first of all the the kind of social media aspect, which I think you know is is such a hot topic across all domains, and the fact that you know education for for youth, especially youth athletes, is how to use it positively, and it it sounds like a program that could be beneficial for for all those that are across all age groups, even across academy. And the other one, from my point of view, would be the injured athletes and kind of the the different experiences, emotions that they go through. Um, and I suppose it brings out the best of them in another way and refocuses their energy. It sounds like a great programme. Is there anywhere that listeners could uh, access a little bit more information uh, about the second half programme? Uh, as I imagine a lot of people will be in touch trying to learn a little bit more about it. Um, Sorry to yeah. put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, um, it will be launched in January, available to those in um, WSL. So the 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 team's available in that level and we've reached out to clubs already for those who are interested in players already showing interest but it will be launched um, in January. Karen thank you very very much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure having having you and learning a lot about kind of uh, your career as well as your involvement after your career as well. Um, I think one place for listeners uh, Karen on her Twitter page uh, I would highly recommend that you follow her uh, it's Karen J Carney am I right in saying? Yeah. yeah, at Karen J. Carney. Um, we'll also uh, upload uh, the links to the necessary uh, things that have been mentioned. So for the second half programme, uh, Karen's Twitter, 
Um, and if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to the FMPA on Spotify and our SoundCloud accounts where you can access and reach all of our po- podcasts or alternatively via the podcast section on the FMPA website. You've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance podcast. Have a great day.